Hello, everyone. Before we get started on this week's app, I wanted to bump a fundraiser that we at Team Seaward are doing all season long, so this isn't the last you're going to hear about it. In the wake of the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade, we want you, our incredible listeners, to come together to demonstrate support for abortion access. If you go to luminary.link slash seaward, you will have the opportunity not only to donate to the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is a collective of almost 100 organizations who remove barriers to abortion care through direct service and political organizing, but you will also be entered to win a C-Word episode that Alyssa Bennett is going to write all about you. Additional information is available online at luminary.link slash C-Word. That's luminary.link slash C-Word. Ex-Disney star turned public spectacle. Teen queen monster. Nymphomaniac. Self-combusting supernova. Wasted again. Long Island trash. Rode hard and put up wet. Unprofessional, unreliable, and uninsurable. Fire crotch. This week, we're talking about Lindsay Lohan. You want to know if I'll survive, get along okay without you. I'll be fine, yeah, I'll be alright. No, that's a lie, I will fucking die, don't Welcome back to The C Word, a Luminary Podcast production. This is a show where we discuss women whose society deemed mad, sad, or just plain bad. We attempt to untangle who they really were beyond their wild reputations. We are going to talk about women who've been called crazy by sifting through the cultural trash heap of history one rumor at a time. Ugh, I'm self-combusting supernova Lena Dunham. And I'm Alyssa Bennett, historian of bad behavior. And we will never call you crazy. Before we get started, we don't claim to know all the facts. We're just passionate students of these interesting women in history, and we're just trying to focus a lens on how and why they achieved their incredible notoriety. This is a discussion about what various people have said about these women over the years. We're not saying that every statement or account we'll be discussing is necessarily true. So if you hear something that piques your interest, we encourage you to do your own investigation. But no one will investigate, as well as my partner, Alyssa. <laughs> We're not bad people. Our hearts are in the right place. And together, we're going to try to get to the bottom of what's been said about these women over time. We're not bad people. And no matter what you DM us on Instagram, we know we're not bad people. I'm not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I might be bad. If you hear something about me being bad, who knows? <laughs> It's probably not true. Now, on to Lilo. Lindsay! Lindsay, I need a kiss right here! Lindsay, are you gonna go back to jail, darling? Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan is everywhere. The often talked about, often misunderstood Lindsay Lohan. She's all over the newsstands. And she's the new favorite of the Hollywood paparazzi. Suddenly, there were pictures of Lindsay everywhere you look. Drunken driving, jail time. Lindsay is less than professional, that her partying was taking priority over her work. Lohan was in trouble again. Her life spun out of control. Things just aren't getting better for Lindsay Lohan. Whew. 
Wow. I have to say something before we do this five things we need to know, because I've never encountered this issue before. I don't even want to call it an issue. This quality, exactly this quality before. It's almost like you've never encountered, because I know what you're going to say, this gift before. It's like there is so much gossip about this person. There are literally like six month stretches of time where there is a new horrible rumor about her every day of the week. It's like nothing I've ever seen. She was a cottage industry. It got to the point where there was so much gossip that it's like... You called it gossip fatigue. You texted I us. I had and gossip like, fatigue. I have gossip fatigue. I had gossip fatigue. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready to take this journey I'm with me? I'm ready. Hold my hand because the terrain is rocky. There's ice patches. There's lava pits. There are small animals that bite your ankles on this road. Alyssa, what are five things we need to know? You're going to love it. Okay. Number one, you all know who Lindsay Lohan is. The child starlet turned teen ingenue, turned tabloid fascination, turned rehab mainstay, turned Dubai, turned Dubai national. The career is short. The career is incredibly brief. There's not a lot of product that comes out of this career in terms of television or cinema, but the gossip is almost infinite. This is a really heavy episode. Get a coffee, get your Nicorette, get ready. Yeah, this isn't one to fall asleep to unless you like to fall asleep like I did at rehab to the Lindsay Lohan Oprah show. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Number two. Before she became known as one of the major early aughts bad girls. Lindsay played the adorable be freckled twins in the 1998 remake of The Parent Trap. We fell in love with her fake British accent because it was good. We fell in it love. It was pretty good. It and I can say that because I live in England. It's really good. This Accents are going to be a recurring motif here. So we'll get back to them. She did that little dance with the butler. Everyone's so heart broke. It was clear to everyone that she was going to be a star. You couldn't look at this little performance and not know that this was a child that had been polished to gleam. Like you, Lena. (laughs) Number three. But following a handful of major starring roles, Lindsay's public image would take a dramatic turn. At first, the tabloids focused on hypersexualized images of Lindsay and her parents' marriage drama. That's one word for it. But it escalated to accounts of her partying, drug use, Many, many, many car accidents and sexual exploits. Number four. So around 2008, she is less known for her talent and more known for her chaotic behavior and stints in the old rehab facility. At this point, the paparazzi are photographing her passed out in her car. They're printing excerpts from her diary. They are stalking her within an inch of her life. This is the worst of the early aughts gossip renaissance. This is the dawn of TMZ. And we as a public essentially buffet style eat her body alive. We eat her alive at the old Ponderosa. Something to remember about this moment, because some of you, some of our listeners are young, is that this was before slut shaming. This was a thing. This was before you like 
weren't supposed to talk about somebody's weight gain. This was before you weren't supposed to talk about somebody's weight loss. This was before that, like the gossip industry had any kind of like loose sense of morals. It was like height of Perez Hilton when literally flaying a woman like the, you know, salted fish they serve at Giorgio Baldi in Beverly Hills was a completely appropriate thing to do. That sounds good though. The salted fish. It's really, really nice. It's like a salted, like a kind of salted (sighs) bonus. Alyssa just ate McDonald's. I did. Number five, after multiple rehab and jail stays, a reality show, and an own docuseries, Lindsay seems to have made it out of her former hell loop, but she's not unscathed. She has a Netflix movie coming out in the winter. It's probably a Christmas movie. And she recently- It stars, co-stars a guy called Cord Overstreet. Sounds like a country star. And she recently made headlines for becoming engaged to a businessman from Kuwait. We're going to get into all of this. Buckle your seatbelts. And Lohan's Beach Club here on The C Word. I bet you watched that. There's nothing with her in it that I haven't watched. Like, okay, this is good. This you're an is expert. This is a good ex- episode because I feel like you're an expert on the gossip and I'm the expert on the cultural output. Yeah. And I have so much to say, but I want to say it at the right time. So let's get into it. What is the real story? Okay, so Lindsay Lohan was born on July 2nd. Hold up. Are we going to say Lohan or Lowen? Lohan. We're going to say Lohan. Who says Lowen? Well, this is a whole thing. There's a certain point in the career where she comes out and she's like, actually, you guys have been saying my last name wrong. It's Lowen. Although she herself kind of oscillates, she ricochets between the two. Sometimes she's a Lohan. Sometimes she's a Lowen. Maybe that's how we're going to treat this name too. I think we should play with it. But the thing I will say is like Lohan is how she's most easily recognizable. So that's, that's what I want to, that's where I want to lean. Lindsay Lowen was born on July 2nd, 1986 in the Bronx to 23-year-old Dina, nay Donata Sullivan, it's such a glamorous name. So glamorous. Who was a once aspiring actress and dancer who very famously claimed to have served a sentence as a rockette. This was kind of disproven. Radio City was like, we don't have any record of her ever stepping on our stage. And her father was 26-year-old Michael, who was a spaghetti heir and one-time aspiring actor who threw in the towel on his dramatic dreams and started to massage the stock market instead at the age of 20. So Michael meets Dina in 84. She's slinging cosmetics at Bloomingdale's, Bloomies as us city Jews call it. And Michael was slinging commodities on Wall Street, which is where he claims he got a taste for the bad shit. Can I tell you also that... I was listening to an episode of Howard Stern, who's literally around every bad turn in this episode, your close personal friend. Mm -hmm. And Michael Lohan was on the Howard Stern show, and he actually tells the world, you, me, and the world, the position, the sexual position that Dina was in when they conceived Lindsay Lohan. And I was like, this is such a, this is like his tell, you know, like we have to acknowledge this kind of information exists and we, we have such incredible access to such an unusual amount of biographical information about Lindsay and about her parents because the parents fucking love to talk about themselves like so much. I mean, like the other day I asked my husband what his position on something was and he took a pause and went doggy. 
Yeah, Michael's too. Yeah. Lou and Michael have that in common. So these parents have done so many interviews and so many stints on reality television. They are very desperate to tell us who they are. They do not give a shit that we're only listening because their words and their often deranged behaviors, like at least partially explain the extreme nature of, of the professional and personal dramas that are going to unfold in the life of their daughter. So keep this in mind when you start hearing details that have floated up to the past. Often they're not from TMZ. Often they're not from Perez Hilton. They're from fucking Michael and Donata. Oh, yeah. And we're going to call her Donata this whole goddamn episode. Donata Lohan. So this is another important note. You know, like many of the women on we cover on this show, stuff between Lindsay's parents was not, quote unquote, the best. They had money, they had cars, they had a big house in a fancy neighborhood, but there was also a lot of fighting, a lot of infidelity, violence, and substance abuse going on. So Michael and Dina first briefly separated when Lindsay was just three, and though they reunited, the Lord stepped in around 1990 and shipped our boy Michael off to federal prison for insider trading. Just kidding, it wasn't God, it was the government. It was probably both. It was God was like, let me get in the middle here for a minute. But hugely important note also is following their 2007 divorce, Dina would make a number of very damning claims about the abuse she alleges occurred over the duration of this marriage, including physical and verbal assaults that the children witnessed and death threats. So that kind of takes some of their hijinks from a kind of comic narcissistic light into something that's um, a bit darker and really gives us an insight into some of the trauma that Lindsay might have suffered. And remember that the theater that these two parents are engaging in is conducted publicly. So when they're, when this divorce eventually rolls around and all of these accusations come out that Michael will very stridently deny, it's printed, it's like on the cover of the Daily Mail, or on the, it's on the cover of the Daily News, it's on the cover of the New York Post. Like these accusations are very public. It's a, it's a very unusual glimpse inside the intimacy of a family. We don't know. We weren't there. Like I said, Michael has denied Donata's claims. But if it's true, this is like a very fucked up major trauma. And it absolutely would position Lindsay in a role where she was her sibling's protector, where she was an emotionally enmeshed partner for her mother. Codependency. And where she was the family's breadwinner before she turns 12. And there's a quote from her in 2007. Um, She said, I feel like a second parent in the sense that I helped raise my family and I was put between my mother and father a lot. Well, I would put myself between them to try and keep the peace and I felt good doing that. You know, everyone's always like, oh, she's fucked up because of her family. And this is, it's obvious to everyone, but something that didn't quite um, register with me until later on in the story when we start to get into the, some some of the more recent scandals and hijinks is that you have to read the situation that she was in where she was positioned as an adult in this relationship. She is a third party in this marriage in a very significant way. She feels very responsible for her siblings, which I think she has been very vocal about, specifically about her little sister. And it just, it's, it, I thought that it, if you look closely enough at the story, there's no mystery. You understand everything that she does. You understand every miscalculation that she makes. And it's all rooted in this early domestic experience. And we can imagine this is also when she formed this sense of hypervigilance, a feeling many of us women know, that will surface throughout her adult life. Yeah. There is strangely an oft-repeated joke about how easily scared she is that comes up on several talk show appearances. It's like some... PR person was like, oh, hey, guess what? Because I imagine they do, they like prep the hosts before these shows. I'll tell you, before you do a talk show 
you get on with a producer and like your publicist might be like, you know, what's a funny story that's cute is like she went to, you know, Mexico with her grandma and they had drinks with another grandma. Well, the story here is like, do you want to hear a story that's really cute? This young lady is easily frightened because she grew up in a household that it has been suggested was defined by the violence that occurred within it. So, you know, I binge watched Lindsay. I watched everything and it comes up like more than three times where a talk show host is like, "Ah!" and then they'll be, she jumps and they're like, oh yeah, I heard you're really easily scared. So it's, it literally be like the equivalent of a talk show host looking at me and being like, there's something really awful on the internet about you. And I'd be like, what? And they'd be like, JK, we hear that freaks you out. (laughs) So keep this in mind as we move through the story. She is lodged in this position that suspends her between parent and traumatized child. She is really locked in a very unforgiving ricochet between these two roles and we sort of feed off of the bad energy. Um, it's also interesting that it's been noted in multiple places that Lindsay has an eidetic memory. So she would often only have to look at a script once to memorize it and could switch back and forth between character and life with unusual facility. Um, so I think that this is interesting. You made a great point, Alyssa, which is that like as the child of parents who have both repeatedly demonstrated their problems with alcohol, she would likely have taken on a sort of mollifying role in this family classic child of addict shit. So she's used to switching back and forth between parent and child in the home, ultra sensitive, ultra reactive. The other thing I think is that if you're a kid and you're in a house full of chaos, you can't focus. And so you have to learn to work in this incredibly, like, it's like the equivalent of like a mom who has to be ultra fast because she has like a screaming baby and a hot stove. No one can see me nodding my head, but I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And also- like that she had an ability, a facile ability to get inside character because as many really real actors feel, it's an escape from their life. Yes. And soon in her life, Lindsay was going to enter the exciting world of child modeling, an industry where nothing ever goes wrong and everyone's dreams definitely come true. And nobody gets molested. (laughs) No one gets molested and no one cries or feels Mm -mm. like a pile of shit ever. Mm -mm. She signed with Ford at age three. I mean, imagine at three, like, your brain is a fucking puddle of pudding. Would you like to mention some of the cool future actresses that she met around this time, though? I would love to, because I think it's interesting. So she is kind of hanging out with Misha Barton and Mm. Kirsten Dunst. So there's a lot of blonde competition going on. I'm sure there still is. Lindsay is a redhead, but Ford agent Katie Ford would later say, quote, this is like such a a tough quote, quote, she came off as the perfect child, the child that every parent wished they had. Like no fucking pressure, no pressure. Well, Michael gets out of jail in 1993 and he and Donata get back together, but he also gets together with some lady named Christy and eventually fathers a secret daughter with her, classic. Lindsay will later say she caught Michael and the woman together one afternoon when she was little, but this shit was not confirmed until 2012 when Michael took a televised DNA test on the Trisha Goddard show. On fucking TV. I've never even heard of. It's so And this is so dark. Lindsay would learn of her newly minted half-sibling on live television while giving an interview on Good Morning America to promote the Lifetime movie Liz and Dick, which was already a Hail Mary for her. So this is the story of her life. This interview, they're like, oh, we already know that you're really easily scared, but did you know that you have a half-sister? And she's like, what? It's like such, and it's so, what we do to this human being is 
fucking out it's so outrageous and by it's, the way when outrageous. you say we you mean we because we fucking did it oh it's like so back to her early years by the time she was 10 Lindsay had famously appeared in over 60 tv commercials by the way you have to be like kids here's the thing i'm going to say about kid actors to get one part or two parts it's like Maybe you're good and you were kind of right. You, you you either look like an adult or look like something. But when there's a kid who's done like 60 parts, you know that that kid is really... 60 commercials for a kid is fucking bananas. Oh. And she scored a breakout role on the popular soap opera Another World. At this point, she was being tutored on set two days a week and going to regular school. She was also reportedly praying that God would rescue her from the purgatory of daytime melodramas and put her in an exciting film. More tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones. That's a fact. That's a fact. Someone asked me what my book's about, and I was like, how you shouldn't ever get what you want. (laughs) That's true. So do you think, Lena, I almost called you Dina. (laughs) Donata. Donata. Donata, do you think that you can call a child driven? Can a child I call be your driven? son driven? He studies four hours a night. He does. He's he's from a different planet, though. He's from another world. Maybe you can, but I would also... I'm going to suggest that a kid who grows up in total chaos might find comfort on a set where they literally just repeat the same lines over and over or eat, like, an identical hamburger a hundred times. Like... Because when she was at work, Lindsay knew every single thing that was coming at her. It was written in a script. Pair this stability with the trauma of her childhood that required her to kind of switch in and out of character from child to adult to confidant to moneymaker. And I think this is like a classic recipe for star material. Well, you know, I like this is how it. you make a movie star. I want to say it. In a lot of ways, Lindsay was the Judy Garland of our time. It's yeah. just that we had more tools to destroy her, so we did it faster. And also it was more like the the public ravaged her. TMZ and, and Perez Hilton both went up in 2005. It's fucking not that long ago. You know, so it introduces this new element to stardom that is perhaps more corrosive than when it was kind of self-contained within 100%. the studio system. It's the way that like older actresses say to me all the time, like, well, we didn't have social media, so I had no one saw me do what they saw you do like there was no social media there were no cell phones there was you know like there was a more a more solid barricade between the public and and celebrity Lindsay came of age at the moment when everyone had their like motorola razor and was sticking it in your face at a club now another thing to note kid actors are treated on sets like they're hyped up they're told they're doing great they're asked if they're comfortable they're brought snacks all day long their tutors are sweet to them The other thing is adults on sets, like if you've got bad parents, you don't know what a good guardian looks like. Like if I were a kid, like I had an ability to come home from school and tell my mom if a teacher was being inappropriate with me. I had, it didn't always keep me from harm, but like I had been taught certain lessons. It's a really good point. And these kids don't have the skills to differentiate. They don't know. A bad news, a bad influence friend. And by the way, every adult on sets until recently was a bad influence friend. Oh my God. Like just read any of those horrible memoirs written by like a Corey Feldman type. It's. Oh my God. It's not good. Drew Barrymore seems like she liked Steven Spielberg, but everything else it's a no. Yeah. So talk to me about what happened in 1997, because this is kind of the moment So in 1997, Lindsay beat out almost 4,000 other child actors to play her famous double role in 
found it hard to say double role. Well, double, because not a lot of people have double roles in The Parent Trap. In Disney's remake of The Parent Trap. So she gets this role. Production starts a little bit after her 11th birthday. It is a crazy exciting moment, except for the part where Michael Lohan left New York and ran to California where she was filming because he heard, he will he will later say that he, he went to California because he heard that Lindsay had been hospitalized following an asthma attack. So his surprise cross-country trip violated the terms of his probation from his earlier fraud conviction, and he was arrested again. This time he's arrested in front of her. He's arrested fucking in front of his 11-year-old daughter while she's, like, trying to enjoy her big break, and he is then subsequently sentenced to another year in the old clink. It's so hardcore, and also, like, think about also the the back and forth and unwieldiness of I want to please mommy. I want to please daddy. Mommy loves daddy. Mommy hates daddy. Daddy's here. Daddy's gone. Like, right. sorry, are we a family so or not? Times. Are we a family or not? It's so intense. So the parent trap comes out in 1998. It is major. It's acclaimed. Lindsay is very, very acclaimed. Little girls want to be her. Adults are marveling over her dramatic talents and marveling over her incredible facility for accents, not for the last time. I just want to say, because, you know, you were just, you were, I was 11 at this point. So you were like a little too cool an adult for this. Oh my God, I was like, I was old enough to drink. I was like 21 years old. Well, you should know, I saw it in theaters. It was, to me, it was like, oh, Jesus hath been born and we shall call him the Prince of Peace. Like, I just could not Were you imagine. Of her? Yes, it was my dream. I thought being this a child actress. This was, jealousy is so I important. was so jealous of her. I thought she got to wear the best clothes. I thought she got to be near the cute guys. I thought she was a genius. I was so jealous. But this was like a thing of mine is like, I thought being a child actress was. I was constantly walking everywhere waiting to be discovered. Like but that was, how- even though what's interesting is I never as an adult had any interest in fame or being an actor, but I thought being a child actor was how you knew you were a special child. Well, I'm going to say that it's by design that little girls look at someone like Lindsay Lowen, who's been designed by the entertainment industrial complex to like inspire dreaming, right? And this will kind of, really go on to shape her life in a major way. Because I think that when she's a little girl and when she starts to become a teenager and she's in her 20s, everyone is so focused on like the glamour of the surface, the glamour of the career. And she's the sort of, you know, she's like an object of desire or of idolatry or of dreaming. And then when she starts to get older, the same people that used to look at her as a surface start to look at her as a container. And that container is a fucking garbage can. She becomes a cultural garbage can by the same people who lauded her when she was little. And it's very important Can I say what I think might be going on? Her wings became her prison? Her wings became her prison. And we're all outside the cell rattling our keys. Yep. And God, you're good with metaphors. (laughs) So here's something to note. Lindsay is now signed straight into a three-picture deal with Disney. This is not just like, this is not just like, oh, she did well. It's like, this is the pinnacle of what a child actor can achieve. Three-picture deal with America's studio of note. 
Now, Dina was not a total psychopath, and she understood that it was important to maintain a modicum of normalcy for Lindsay and her siblings. So following completion of The Parent Trap, she returned to regular school. She slowed shit down for three years. Dina wanted to kind of go like, listen, you need to be a person. And I want to say that while Lindsay Lohan and I did not both grow, she was two months, she's two months younger than me. It's Lohan. Lohan, well, Lohan, it was two months younger than me, and she lived in a different That's part of crazy. New York. That's crazy. You guys are the same age. She's less than two months wow. younger than me. And I knew a couple girls at camp whose claim to fame was that they went to school with Lindsay. She And this was when wow. I was like 13. So she wasn't outside of my social world. And, and Lindsay and I, I will tell you more of our kind of crossover as we go. But starting like at age 13, I'm meeting girls at camp who are like, do you know I go to school with Lindsay Lohan? Oh, Wow. So she co-stars in this 2000 film, Life Size. I think it was like a D- Disney TV movie. Oh, I know what it is. It's where she, uh, Tyra Banks plays her Barbie that comes to life. Lindsay's excellent. And I have to say Tyra Banks is pretty good too. So then she does 2002's Get a Clue, which is another Disney TV movie. And being involved in this type of production didn't necessitate any kind of major life changes. And she got to continue attending public school and her schedule was kind of organized around being a normal kid. And I think that there is a lot to be said about what she gained from living a regular life because a lot of the power of her early performances and the early performances are the ones that, you know, rooted her celebrity, but also they're the best ones. They're the best performances. They are. But I also want to say that this was not too early for there to be rumors about her because after Parent Trap at camp, I heard that she drunk alcohol and ground on a boy. Oh my God. God. So people were already talking about her. Wow. But basically, like, what's crazy is, like, I don't know if that's true. (sighs) Wow. That is already, already other kids wanted to poke holes in her image and be like, oh, she plays a hoity-toity private school girl who's with a British accent. No, she's Long Island trash, and she's grinding on somebody. She ground like, on. She ground on my leg. <laughs> she she ground right up on my leg. So. She has this kind of regular life. Like maybe the grinding story is true and she's having, I mean, it's not normal at 11, but maybe that happened when she was like 14. But there is a lot to be said about how these, these normal experiences that she had, she wasn't in professional school until kind of much later. Um, It sort of explains why she was so good at playing like a regular kid, but it also might be why she floundered later on because her understanding of what made life real, what made real life real was kind of halted once she became a part of the Hollywood machine. Like she stops having normal experiences, right? Which is something it, it, it strikes me as like particularly significant how is a child actor supposed to develop when they don't have any, there's no real life. Everything's in this bubble. And let's just say like, this would be, it would be hard for anyone to keep life straight with this kind of attention and this kind of intensity. But imagine like around this time, Dina and Michael separate again. Let's note, this is split number three. If we go by public record, he's continuing to have problems with substance abuse, the law and life in general. So Of course, she would want to escape into the possible world of glamour, celebrity, and grinding. (laughs) So we don't know. We weren't there. No, but I would have grounded her. I was like 40 years old when she was grinding (laughs) in high school. So... Lindsay did spend some years attending a high school on Long Island, South Shore. 
But do you know what I heard? What, baby? Fame's lure burns hot. And by the time she was in 11th grade, she was noticing that some of the young ladies she knew from the child acting and modeling circuit, like Kirsten Dunst and Misha Barton and Scarlett Johansson, were gaining public visibility and landing kind of significant, substantial roles. So there, I would say that this is a fact. There is nothing like the fear of being left behind to force the bloom of young ambition. And Lena told Donata to prepare the homeschooling chalkboard because she was ready to throw her hat into the ring of Hollywood life. You just called Lindsay Lena, and I was like, you're like, Lena told Donata, and I was like, suddenly I was like, it is me. It's my story. This is actually a story about you. Yeah. So she's ready to go to Hollywood, which, in case you didn't know, I know you know Lena Lowen, but Hollywood (laughs) is just the fifth circle of hell that's wearing, like, a fucking blonde wig and a pair of sunglasses and driving a Merc. Oh, my God. crazy wild place no it's a crazy wild place and like there's a reason someone told me once I think I said this to you that like people are always decapitating people and finding heads in LA because like LA essentially decapitates your soul oh it's so it's such a spooky place so back to Lindsay back to Lindsay so by the time she's 16 everyone is ready for baby's first highly publicized cat fight with another Disney child star This is actually like, I also need to note, this is probably the first celebrity gossip I Mm. remember. Mm -hmm. You know, like this, because it was like my peers, Mm -hmm. it was actors I cared about. It was like all the other celebrity gossip I heard was like Monica Lewinsky or like OJ Simpson. It was like the first thing that like, I remember being like, but these people are my age, my age. And this here, what we're talking about is a feud between Lindsay and one Hillary Duff. The publicity generated from the great Duff Loan War of 2002 to 2005 is going to propel Lindsay into the spotlight in like a fucking major way. This kind of bubblegum controversy erupting at this particular moment makes her more famous. It makes her more recognizable and it strangely makes her more desirable to producers. Well, the interesting thing about it is, like, it's not enough of a controversy, and we'll talk about it, like, because it's just, like, a fight over a boy. It's not like when Demi Lovato punched a backup dancer in the face and, like, had to go away for a while. It's, like, just enough controversy to really kind of, like, spice it up. It's like puberty controversy. It's like everyone's getting boobs. You know, it's... Yeah. So, number two reason why we're talking about this feud... The most significant residual impact of this story is that Lindsay, she will truly never come back down from it again for the rest of her life. From the time she is 16 years old, we as a public are going to be talking about her body. We're going to be speculating on her morals. We are going to be scrutinizing her choices. This stupid puberty moment never ends for this woman this is like the it's like it's like here's the rest of your life are you excited no we don't care i do have a i have a request which is because some people may not know do you think you could summarize the lohan duff drama in 60 seconds or less can you set a timer yeah tell me when to go this is fun and go Lindsay and Aaron started making out behind craft services or whatever they were doing in 2002 when she was 16 and he was 15. 
Did Hillary Duff have him first? Who cares? We don't know. We weren't there. All that matters is that these two young ladies were immediately positioned on the teen beat chessboard as rivals for Aaron Carter's love. This soft drama plays out across all the media's tabloids, morning news stations. They all report on the uncomfortable interactions at photo shoots and unwelcome red carpet appearances at film premieres. The fucking Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Times tells us that a mystery person who is maybe a cohort of Hillary Duff maybe left a message on Lindsay's answering machine calling her fat and suggesting that she might want to try Pilates. Lindsay is accused of throwing eggs at Hillary Duff's environmentally conscious Range Rover, JK, and they maybe write some mean songs about each other and then claim innocence when they're confronted. We make these teenage girls talk about their squabble to people like Ryan Seacrest and Carson Daly because guess what? We're maniacs. You did really good. I did it. So that's the whole story. That's everything you need to know. We don't know. We weren't there. But these two young teen cogs in the Disney machine are offered up to us as opposing teen archetypes. This is also just like a tiny sip of what's going to come. Many, if not most, of Lohan's publicized quote-unquote feuds frame her as a jealous and possessive girlfriend who cannot maintain female relationships, go psycho if someone starts dating one of her exes, etc. And I think... From this point forward, one of the meta narratives that's going to swirl around her is that she is clingy, that, you know, there are all these stories that come up about promise rings and secret marriages and tales of her jealous meltdowns. Her whole tabloid future is just this story complicated by drugs, alcohol, a shopping addiction and sex. But it's this story. It just gets expounded upon. But it's this story. So... In 2003, at the height of this stupid feud that people still love to talk about, Lindsay's second classic Disney remake, Freaky Friday, is released. It's a huge success, but it's also the last year the public and the press will even try to interact with Lindsay like she's a kid. We are about to start heaping a ton of adult shit on her body, her life, and we are going to take more pleasure in her turmoil than you can even imagine, and we will not accept no comment for an answer. You fucking can't no comment this shit. It's like, do you have a comment now? Do you have one now? Do you have one now? Until you're like, yeah, I have a comment. Here it is. By the way, bleep out this name, but we love this idea, which is that I've been having an excessive fantasy of people asking me something about in an interview and going, no comment. No comment. So by the end of 2003, there are already instances where Lindsay Lohan is being blatantly sexualized. People noticed when she went through puberty. People were discussing how, quote, grown up she was looking. It's like fucking barf. Barf It's so gross. It's so gross. So Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, a film I personally love because I was a teenage drama queen, comes out in February of 2004. So just for some context, at that point, I'm about to graduate from St. Anne's School in Brooklyn as a happy, happy senior and it cements her status. I'm like getting my first divorce. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I meet you a year after this movie comes out. And you're oh, in the process of us. your second divorce. When Stop. I met you, you were getting divorced for a second time, not a first, right? First. Oh, I didn't first. realize. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, this is it. I just handled it with such a plum. So it cements her status as a major teen star and it leads to Alyssa's divorce. She's relatable and believable and cute and blah, blah, blah. But what is really striking about this girl is that her performances are so natural and real. And that is true. If you watch these, you can really feel she is good. She is not doing like 
the classic overacting that marks a Disney star. Yeah. The press quickly begins heaping expectation on her, suggesting that she's the next Julia Roberts or Jodie Foster. She's only 17 years old. Yeah, so she is not yet 18. She's staring down the barrel of this huge career and like every piece of bullshit that's going to come with it. Lindsay packs her bags and officially moves to Los Angeles, California. She rents an apartment with a fellow child star, who's very important to me, Raven Simone. So Raven and Lindsay rented a place. Raven would later say that Lindsay was in their shared home, quote unquote, probably three times and mostly just used it to store her enormous wardrobe. Picture like a ton of those like Balenciaga saddlebags. Like a million of them in every color. Like, a, like the little tiny ones. The little ones, tiny the ones. And imagine ones. like you literally go and you're like, I have every color. I guess Remember I'll get the banana bags? yellow. Oh my God. Bot cure bags. Yeah, she's got like fringe everywhere. Every every item that Kitson sold was on her body. Um, so eventually she packs up her truck full of low-waisted jeans and halter tops and decamps to the four seasons, thus beginning. What we all know now was a distinguished career in hotel living. And I want to say, and I can come back to this, that as an accomplished hotel liver who has lived in hotels for periods, endless periods that you can't even imagine, up to two years at a time, Lindsay Lohan puts us all to shame. She puts everyone to shame. So later when she's asked about her choice to live in hotels versus homes or apartments, Lindsay would say, quote, I don't want to be alone. So whatever I needed, I could just go downstairs and there were people there. It's sad. I understand this because like, I actually don't like to be around people. And I now find being in hotels oddly invasive. But when I was 24, lonely, it was my first rodeo in LA. I came and um, I was supposed to stay for six months to edit girls and write the next season. And I rented a house. And like three weeks in, I realized that I was just, I rented like kind of a weird little bungalow in the hills. And I rent, realized like I was not equipped for it. And I moved down to the Sunset Tower and I stayed on and off for almost three years. And I got to know everyone. It was like, I had unique relationships with yeah. every member. I felt like Eloise, which was like a longtime fantasy yeah. of mine. Yeah, it's you like know, the hotel, the hotel is like a, a character in a way. The hotel's a character. The hotel's you know, it's alive. Like a parent. And what was it? Like, I remember getting my appendix removed and like the hotel guys like taking me through the kitchen and literally greeting every like kitchen staff member by name and realizing like I've been here for too long. But that being said, that's something that I grew out of as I started to appreciate the pleasure of my own company. And I think for many reasons, Lindsay is not able to appreciate the pleasure of her own company. She's, I think, you know, we don't know. We weren't there. I think she was scared. Which is why it's so funny to scare her on talk shows. I know. It's like, uh, anyway, so for now, she's 17. She's alone in Los Angeles. She is filming Mean Girls, which is going to premiere in April of 2004. It is going to catapult her into real stardom, and this shit is about to get real. Wow, wow, wow. So by this point, she's inching towards her 18th birthday, and do you remember this trend? Do you remember this trend? The internet creeps would establish an international clock that began ticking down to the moment when a young celebrity woman was legal. Oh, I remember this so distinctly because there was one about the Olsen twins, and they're born very close to me, and so I was like, there's a clock on all of us. So there was a clock on Lindsay, like counting down to when she could legally consent to engage in sexual intercourse with them and then run away while shrieking the words, just kidding. 
In tandem with Earth's collective fantasies about Lindsay's impending legal adult status, people also begin to suggest that she has gifted herself with a set of fancy new breast implants because the whole world thinks celebrity bodies are public property and we want answers even if we have to generate them ourselves. We also... What the fuck is wrong with us? The other thing that's so fascinating is like we literally can't acknowledge that she's only just gone through puberty. Like, it's crazy. I didn't grow breasts till I was 20. Like, I remember a, a rumor we started about a girl at St. Anne's that she'd been, we called her bat mitzvah tits because there was a rumor she'd been given a pair of boobs for a bat mitzvah. No one is given a breast job, at boob job at 13. Her boobs grew over the summer. And like, yeah, but it's also like, that's who cares if like teenage girls are conjecturing about that? This is like an adult public. I mean, it's crazy. And, and, as someone who's like dealt with a little bit of kind of a certain amount of people I don't know conjecturing about my body, conjecturing about like how when I- people were like, did Lena Lowen get a Brazilian butt lift? <laughs> I wish they asked if I'd gotten a Brazilian butt lift. I wish that it wasn't just Joan Rivers saying I'd never met a salad. Did she say that? Yeah. And she said I was an ad, a poster child for you diabetes. I want to tell you something. Yeah. She's in heaven now. Oh, no. <laughs> She's in heaven. She's in heaven. I still admire the woman. So as a nice accessory to our musings about Lindsay's secondary sexual characteristic, tales of out-of-control underage partying are also starting to bubble up to the surface, like little, little bubbles in a fine tomato soup at a diner on Long Island. And adult men with legitimate jobs in journalism are writing about her pedicure feet. Ugh. Ugh. allegations Gross. of her wild nights out and whether or not you can tell if someone's boobs are real by hugging them chic respectful nice great like this is real people were like journalists would be like when i embraced her young body I couldn't tell if the breasts were... It's fucking gross. It's gross. It sucks. So Lindsay directly addressed the implant rumors after they reached and upset her then 11-year-old sister, Allie. Okay, Aliana. Aliana. And throughout her career, Lindsay has demonstrated that she is very, very protective of her siblings. Cody and Aliana. And particularly, particularly so of this sister, Remember her own rotten childhood and her desire to shield her siblings from some of what she experienced as we go forward. Just remember it. Do me a favor. So Lindsay's still 17 in May of 2004 when she hosts SNL for the first time. I also want to say one thing before we watch this. When I hosted SNL, something Lindsay's done many times and I only did once, someone reached out through my publicist and was like, Lindsay wants to know if she should come and do a cameo in one of your sketches. And I was like... (gasps) Uh, and they were like, she's in the city and she's just like, would love to stop by SNL. She misses it. Oh my God. Maybe she wants to be on Girls. I don't know. And I just, at the time I was kind of like, I don't really know her and I'm dealing with enough hosting SNL. So like, I don't know, you guys figure it out. And then just as I was about to go on stage, I got a bunch of roses and I opened them and it was like, break a leg, love Lindsay. Ay, bendito, that was nice. It was really nice. And I remember being like, I will treasure this for the rest of my life right next to my Britney Spears autograph and that time I saw Cindy Crawford in the elevator at Bliss Spa in Soho. Oh, man. So among the incredibly written comic sketches she participates in is one called Hermione's Growth Spurt, which is so perverted. It is seared in my mind. And I feel like you said this, even if we talk about it, I think we're going to get arrested. I think we're going to get arrested for linking to it you go on a government watch list if you click this link because that's how perverted it is 
basically what happens is that Lindsay Lohan comes in. She's supposed to be Hermione. I didn't read these books. Don't sue me. I'm just reporting what I see with my eyeballs. So she comes in. She has on a very low cut shirt. The characters that are dressed like Harry Potter and whatever that red haired guy's name is. I don't know. (laughs) They immediately like the camera zooms in on them staring at her breasts and the entire skit is basically oriented around everyone silently marveling with their dicks about how big Hermione's boobs got over the summer. <sighs> Hermione, um, <laughs> Hello, Hermione. Welcome back. How was your summer? Boring. Nothing happened. Really? Happened? I don't know what you're talking about. I can think of a, a couple things that happened, but it's just that, um, we see it's, it's only been a, a few months since we, we last saw you, yet, um, <laughs> wow. Mm. Okay, we need to stop this. <laughs> it's so. I want to it's die. It's so. It's 17. She's 17. I want to die. Okay. She's all 17 these years old. be ashamed. It's also, all of the like lights of night, late night TV, Seth Meyers, Jimmy Fallon, they're all out here fucking feeling Lindsay Lohan up, basically. The other thing is like somehow the fact that Rachel Dratch plays Harry Potter makes it even creepier. Like, like it's, it's like, like not fucking boner. It's so gross. It's so gross. It's like a gross boner. It's hideous. So anyway. You know who didn't have to speculate about whether or not 17-year-old Lindsay Lohan had made a visit to the surgeon to achieve what one luminary of the press actually referred to as her quote-unquote abnormally rapid mammary development? Who? 24-year-old Wilmer Valderrama, a.k.a. Hollywood's boyfriend, because he hasn't just dated her, he's dated people like Mandy Moore, who I think he also publicly said he took the virginity of. And, like, a bunch of other, like, young, hot Demi Hollywood Lovato. talents. There was great speculation that these two were together before Lohan was of age. They actively denied their relationship until her July 2004 18th birthday, for which she had a party with an I'm a slave for you theme. Because one see where lady loves another. Why not? So she brushed off tabloid speculation regarding this great love for many months at one point saying a Vol drama, I'm 17 and he's 24. What can really go on there? Nothing. He's like an older brother to me. No comment. There's a word for that. There's a word for that. There's a and word it's for that. Incest. In 2006, <laughs> Valderrama would put the greatest mystery of our time to rest when he confessed to Howard Stern that he has an eight-inch penis, all right, and that his one-time <laughs> girlfriend waxed her pubic hair and definitely did not have breast implants. Like, go to church, Wilmer Valderrama. It's nasty. So by the summer of 2004, predatory paparazzi are starting to swarm, even when she's, like, not doing anything fun. And this is when the bad behavior news really gets rolling. Do we like stories about Lindsay visiting a Kabbalah center with her elderly boyfriend or terrorizing waitstaff at restaurants or under drinking? Yes, we did like them. Yes. But let's throw in the cheap thrill of an alleged hit and run because that's a bit sexier. And that's what happened in August of 2004. Extra bad optics because it is attached to an unsubstantiated rumor that she was, you guessed it, drunk as a skunk. The incident reportedly almost costs the role in a little film you may have heard of, Herbie Fully Loaded. You know, I've heard of it and I watched it and I thought it was really good. 
So, important, important, important. Even though it seems like internet gossip sites have been darkening our collective door forever, TMZ and Paris Hilton went live around 2005. So this is fresh, new, and appealing to America's desire. I think it's like, we could do a whole thesis on how and why they started, but obviously it has to do with the rise of the internet, the rise of the cell phone, and people no longer being interested in the kind of divide that existed in the glory days of Hollywood, the gold, the gilded age of Hollywood, if you will. But well, being- it's literally stars. They're just like us. You know, this is like the, the the machine behind stars. They're just like us. Is this kind of information? It's like no, we're, they're actually not like you because they're so afraid of you that they can't live a normal life like you. <laughs> but there's this other thing that happens because it's so new. There's no protocol for how a young celebrity is supposed to navigate this kind of increased public desire for access to their private life. So I think that what we see now, like this generation of actors that come after this, after Lindsay, there's less drama because they've learned a lot from what happened to her. So they're more savvy. They're more private. Like they they start monitoring their lives a little more carefully. Well, I'm going to tell you something that I have never shared on this podcast. Do you want to know the reason I don't drive, Alyssa? Yeah, I want to know. The reason I don't drive is because coming of age around the Lindsay's the Paris Hiltons, et cetera, my fear of getting into an accident, and it didn't have any, this was before I was in any way famous. I was just so scared of the idea of making some kind of mistake because I had seen these people torn apart and treated like idiots for their poor driving. And I just was like, or like, you know, pictures of them parking badly on a curb. And I just, I didn't feel smart enough or strong enough or tough enough. And it just, so like, I directly link all of this to the reason I don't drive a car. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that those driving foibles, like LOL, blah, blah, can't parallel park. It harkens back to this public desire to feel like you're not better than me. You're not better than me. And also I want to note that like, the people who were excoriated for their bad driving. Like, Matthew Broderick killed someone with his car in Ireland. He did? And nobody... Oh, yeah, with with Jennifer Grey, right? But the only reason anyone's talking about it is because it's in Jennifer Grey's book. I'm sure it was a traumatic event for them. Matthew Broderick was notably not drunk. It was a terrible accident. But that being said, like, people haven't spent Matthew Broderick's entire life making driving jokes to him. No, There's something very unique about our desire to excoriate women for their inability to do this one practical thing. I think that's a really good point. I love when you tell me I've made a good point. It's really good. I think it's 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 more significant than it appears on the surface when you just think about the 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 driving surveillance. I think it is a really good point about basically like suggesting that women are too stupid to operate a motor vehicle. Yeah, 100%. It's like when I got on a Zoom with an unnamed celebrity and her boyfriend who's also a celebrity and he said, "I really it- loved <laughs> No. It was and, and he said, I really loved your treatment. I read it aloud to her. You're, wow, you actually can really write. And I was like, okay, so you just proved to me you don't think women can read or write. No, they can't. Like, I don't know if you heard they can't do either. Back to Lindsay. So while all of this is unfolding, Michael Lohan continues to indulge in his fatal attraction to jail. And in May of 2004, he's arrested after violating an order of protection that Dina had taken out against him after he beat his brother-in-law with a shoe at Lindsay's. I'm sorry. It's horrible. At Lindsay's little brother's first communion. This is like a Mad Libs of horrible. It's like like a a game of Clue. It's like who beat their brother-in-law with a shoe at the first communion? 
Not content to put this fresh black mark on his life, he later falls asleep in a New York strip club, Scores, the same one that will later accuse him of requesting a dancer who resembles his famous daughter, which he would go on to deny, and the same one where my cousin met his girlfriend, may he rest in peace, and is arrested for allegedly walking out on a $3,800 hotel bill. Are we done? No, we're not done. Because no. guess what? Michael Lohan is a bad influence friend. In October, yeah. our father of the year pleads guilty to punching a New York sanitation worker because his garbage truck was blocking Michael's car. Uh, so Lindsay, by this point, is constantly questioned about her father's shit. It kind of heralds a shift where the public is so fascinated by rumors about her that we stop being able to separate her performances from her personal life. And the really insane thing to recognize here is that Lindsay's time in the spotlight as an actress is honestly, it's like two or three years long. So it's it's going to be over fast. And she's not she doesn't represent something that we find particularly laudable for very long. No. So before filming for Herbie Fully Loaded even begins, the studio president sits Lindsay down and tells her to get a grip because there's too much money tied up in the film for her to keep fucking around. So imagine you've got this bajillion dollar film sitting on your shoulders and the studio head sits you down and, and is like, like don't try paid it. Something like, she's getting paid something like seven and a half million dollars for this film. It's like an astronomical amount of you money. You can get every color of, you know, Balenciaga strappy handbag. You can get a tiny one for every baby that you know. So, it sounds great. Even though she's like, I heard you, reports of her unprofessionalism begin to leak out to the press almost, almost as soon as this film begins production. So was Lindsay partying all night? Was she sleepy because she was spending all of her spare time deleting other girls' telephone numbers from Wilmer's phone? Was she burnt out because she was recording an album literally in her trailer and was literally reportedly getting three hours of sleep a night? I like this album, by the way. We don't know because we weren't there. But in October, she trudged up to the holy bad behavior pulpit and took the Hollywood communion we'd been waiting for... She checked her ass into a hospital for exhaustion. Also, she later attributed the hospitalization to a wider variety of symptoms, including a kidney infection, something you get when you don't drink water and you fuck all the time, swollen <laughs> liver, an asthma attack, and a quote-unquote form of mono. So this is really the first seriously rocky moment that the press picks up on. Um, in a way that calls her future into question, part of her appeal as a public figure is that we are witnessing her transformation from an innocent child actress into a possibly troubled, but definitely very hot starlet. And people can't get enough. They, I also want to say that there is something deeply perverse. We know that there was a countdown to when she was 18. Fucked. We know that they did the Hermione's boob sketch. Fucked. <laughs> but on a larger level, like think about the fact that, say, a Kirsten Dunst or so, went from being a nine-year-old in interview with the vampire to being an adult woman we find sexy. And that we cannot detangle our attraction to her from the fact that we knew her when she was a child. So right. it's almost like America becomes that guy who ends up marrying his friend's daughter, you know? Yes. Like, and yes. that is an essentially perverse quality. Any child actress who grows up in the public eye, no matter how much they avoid this, is still dealing with the essential perversion of a country it's that is really thrilled true. to watch them go from teen to adult. It's really true. But we're also like, what's at this moment, we're like, what's going to happen? So 
There's so much attention on her. Herbie's director said, quote, we were in the eye of the hurricane. There was an incredible paparazzi hunger around the set. It always startled me. So, And I think, you know, hunger is such an important concept in this story. It's our hunger. It's Lindsay's hunger. And it's everyone who stands to profit from from these appetites. Also, if this director says it frightened her, imagine like a young woman who's prone to scaring. And also just imagine like what we know about like nervous systems and what happens to your body when you stay in fight or flight. Like I know that even without, with a few incidences where paparazzi tailed me, I spent my twenties in terror and it affect, and it is undoubtable that it affected my health. It affected my relationship to drugs and alcohol. And if I had not had a family that was so keenly aware of like my uh, mo- motions, motivations, et cetera, I can imagine that it would have been something I never could have turned back from. Oh, I mean, this is the Lindsay Lohan story. This is her whole story. So moving on, Lindsay recovers. She manages to complete Herbie, though she receives some backlash because she drops out of attending European premieres because she's incredibly distraught about her parents' upcoming divorce proceedings. And now with her debut album complete, she prepares to release the first single, Rumors. America loved Lindsay's song, Rumors, but we also loved rumors about Lindsay Lohan. The same month the single was out, the New York Post published a blind item that was widely believed to be about our girl. Would you like to read it, Alyssa? I would love to. It seems to start snowing inside nightclub bathrooms whenever a teen queen steps inside to powder her nose these days. Our spies at Avalon in Los Angeles say that one very famous underage starlet who regularly gets soused at party promoter Ben Bolthouse's Friday Brent, Night Celeb Fest. Bolthouse, he's a classic party promoter. what I call him? Bread? You called call him bread? like Bread Dolthouse or something. <laughs> was snorting disco dust in the bathroom before she was cut off from ordering any more drinks from the club staff. Lindsay Lowen. So did they say Lindsay Lowen or did we just know it was Lindsay Lowen? You know, when people guess blind items. Oh, don't I know it. It was widely speculated that this was about Lindsay Lowen. So on the heels of all this shit, Lindsay and Wilmer break up in November of 2004. This was a big day for the tabloids. The Chicago Tribune called it, quote, the great Lindsay Lohan, Wilmer Valderrama breakup. Also, can we note that they like if they seemed like the most fully formed couple of all time and they'd been dating for like 11 months or something. Truly. So a year later, Vanity Fair will write that quote. When it came to dealing with the pain of her parents situation, she turned to Valderrama, wanting to be with him every five seconds because, quote, I didn't have anyone to go to. Also, she probably doesn't have that many friends because she's literally being chased by the paparazzi all the time and everyone wants something from her. So the bot eventually drops out of her relationship because she needs more than a 24-year-old, like, dude who's out at clubs all the time can give her. Yeah. So, you know, really, like, she needs to be... Really what she needed was, like, a 52-year-old lesbian, but we'll get there. So the press will suggest that what actually happened is that she was too clingy, too needy, too possessive. Add this to the Lindsay is a jealous psycho scoreboard because it becomes a major theme in how she is demonized in all of her relationships moving forward. All of them, like to this day. To this day. So 
I don't know if we're more interested in Lindsay's career or her troubles by this point. It's probably a 50-50 split. Her album Speak dropped in December of 2004 and debuted at number four. It's very respectable on the Billboard 200 charts. She plods ahead, even though the media was mostly obsessed with speculating about what kind of party she liked best and talking about her boobs all the time. A 2005 W Magazine profile published, quote, if Lohan seems especially candid, it's because a scandal clings to her as tightly as her white cotton t-shirt, no bra, clings to her famous breasts. Especially after you jizz all over her. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, it's like adults, adults. So with this kind of nonstop media surveillance, the stress of a shitty public breakup and garden variety mid-aughts fat phobia, it may not come as a surprise that photos start to emerge of Lindsay looking increasingly malnourished, leading to speculation that she was struggling with an eating disorder. And I mean, this was also the moment, let's remember, when all of these teen stars became so thin. It was like the moment where it was the height of Misha Barton, the Olsen twins, everybody wearing like a maxi skirt that clung to their hip yeah. bones with a venti coffee and sunglasses that were bigger than with their like head. shoes that can't even fit on their feet because their feet are too skinny. Literally. You know, like, like the shoes are falling off their feet. So it's also, at this point, she's also hanging out regularly with soon-to-be enemies Nicole, quote, she knows what she did, Richie, and Paris Hilton. So they're all hanging. They're going to the Chateau Marmont. Mainstream news outlets are beginning to speculate about Lindsay's health, and Lindsay is about to enter the first of several campaigns attempting to explain herself (sighs) to the world. So in 2006, there is a Lindsay Tells All article published in Vanity Fair that included quotes from the actress indicating that she had toyed with bulimia at the end of 2004. It is a revelation that her PR person and Dina fervently denied, Donata, fervently denied, and one that Lohan subsequently tried to redact in a Teen People article. And remember that part of the major issue that people have with Donata is her recurrent inability to acknowledge that this shit was fucking careening towards disaster. And we as observers could not help but interpret Dina's denial as a symptom of her financial interests in Lindsay's career. It is like fucking grim reaper dark shit. It's grim reaper dark. I don't think, as the voice of minor celebrity on this show, I don't, as the voice of minor Hollywood celebrity, Alyssa's a major downtown celebrity, but... Um, (laughs) did you like that? Yeah, I go out partying all the time. She's a rager. So back to Lindsay. Don't forget also that while Lindsay is trying to navigate all of this shit, she is living alone in the series of Los Angeles hotels that we spoke about previously, most infamously at the Chateau Marmont. A producer who worked with her on her 2005 album said she was swarmed at all times by the paparazzi, which at one point resulted in, guess what, another car accident. He said to the Los Angeles Times, quote, she was 19 years old. Her dad was in jail. Her mom was on the East Coast and there was a stalker in the hotel where she lived. I remember her crying on the phone with her mom saying, I am here all alone. I was just in a terrible car accident. My heart really broke. That's that fucking depressing. So fucking it's depressing. Sad. Oh, girl. So again, the Chateau Marmont by this point is such a huge part of Lindsay's public story that it is basically another character. There is something about her relationship to both the building and the staff that makes it feel like a surrogate for a family home. But it also, to Elizabeth, it feels like she has walked up to the building and whispered the words, 
are you my mother to it? She's Literally. like Chateau Marmont. Are you my mother? She's like the ugly duckling and Chateau Marmont is the swan. The other thing I want to say is like, obviously there were people in this hotel who she trusted, whoever they were, who were selling stories. Because I remember things oh, at yeah. this time coming out, like Lindsay Lohan had sex with James Franco in the Chateau Marmont. She chased Jared Leto down the hall. Whatever bullshit was going on. And it's like, that shit doesn't just come out. Yeah. And so these people who you trust, and I know what it feels like to kind of be so desperate for attention that you kind of casually drop information. Like you think like, oh yeah, I can chat in front of my stylist. Oh yeah, this makeup artist is going to hold my secrets. Yeah. All right. 2005, 2006. Here we are. Dina finally files for divorce from Michael. About and in time, February, Donata. And in February of 2005, he announces that he's suing her for half her cut of Lindsay's earnings, which his lawyer estimated was $3 million annually. So amongst other things, he accused Dina, that's Donata for those of you who don't remember, and Lindsay of being emotionally unsound and on drugs. Not the nice thing from your, for your daddy. Yeah. And this is the point when all the family shit comes out and all also, at this time, Lindsay was allegedly making $7 million a film. So it's a lot of money. So Lindsay responds by telling W Magazine, I did hear that my dad was suing me for alimony. And I'm like, I was never married to you. She giggles. So what is it for? Abandonment? Pretty hot quote. It's hot because it's also the choice of words is so fascinating because Lindsay truly was made into a third parent in this household. So part of the tragedy of her early life is that she was turned into a mediator for the marriage. And then people, the the actual two adults who were engaged in the marriage, look at her earnings as though they're marital property. It's like a very intense quote in its way. I also want to ask you something. Are you getting a little worried that Michael Lohan hasn't been arrested in a while, Alyssa? Yes. <laughs> well, don't, because in February of 2005, he's nabbed for a DUI after crashing his car into a telephone pole. The game of bad behavior Mad Libs continues. Oh. At his sentencing hearing, he will say that he was only rush, rush, rushing because he allegedly heard that his daughter had overdosed on cocaine in New Orleans during production of Just My Luck. So he was rushing to New Orleans. He was rushing to New Orleans. This film It's like that classic song, I'm rushing to New Orleans. To see my daughter's flop. This film was a flop. It was a critical flop. It was a commercial flop. Tabloids gleefully reported tales of unprofessional behavior on set. The Globe and the Mail wrote, quote, Lohan, who likes to call herself a raging workaholic, held up production on Just My Luck by refusing to shoot when it rained, when her cigarette delivery was delayed, until, preposterously, the FBI returned her calls, and until a medic attended to her self-inflicted cheek bite. I mean, this sounds kind of reasonable. <laughs> I don't want to shoot in the rain. She's also targeted for a rumored dalliance with the film's producer, Bruce Willis, for neither the first nor last time, the father of her friend, Rumor. And I would just like to say that the Willis children are friends of mine. I don't know. I wasn't there. And Lindsay would deny this. So in late May of 2005, Michael is sentenced to one to four years in prison. He served two. And he allegedly took up singing and songwriting in preparation to become, guess what? I don't know, maybe like a minister focusing on helping troubled teens? Ding, ding, ding. So in May of 2005, Lindsay hosted... You guessed it, another episode of SNL that opened with her meeting a future partied out version of herself. Oh, we LOL'd at the time, but Lilo would later report that Amy Poehler and Tina Fey seized the opportunity to lecture her about her weight and her issues with substance use. And 
I want to say this is a real thing that we do. We like to have troubled celebrities demonstrate a self-awareness of their transgression so we can all laugh together. No one has to feel cheated. We've addressed the elephant in the room. The other thing is that I think people like to do this kind of like, especially women like to do this kind of like teasing disguised as a faux lecture so that when things go wrong, they can go, well, we tried to do something. Absolutely. Especially in Hollywood, I think like to step in and give a little lecture without, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what Tina Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did. Tina Fey and Amy, what's her last name? Poehler are very close friends of mine, and I don't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're like, gonna, I'm never going to live down. I'm good friends with the Willis children. Literally make fun of me till I, I mean, die. I'm just, they're good friends of mine. So I'm just I saying actually am very know. close with them. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I really love them. Like, sometimes weird stuff happens in your life. Okay, so back to Lindsay. <laughs> so by 2006, Lindsay was not old, but she was still trying to choose more serious roles. She was deeply aware that she couldn't go too far out because she didn't want to alienate a fan base that was primarily comprised of teenage girls, but she still wanted to do something a little interesting. And so who is more interesting than Robert Altman? Uh, Robert Altman did this adaptation of Prairie Home Companion with Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin, lots of very serious people. So she did that. And then she appeared in Bobby about the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. So around this time, she is romantically linked to Jared Leto in the tabloids. Pulitzer Prize-winning publication Life and Style would report that Lindsay was ready to throw caution to the wind and marry Jared on a beach because she was mad at Paris Hilton for doing it with Olsen Twin X and L.A. baseball card Stavros Niarchos. Do you know what L.A. baseball card means? No. What's an L.A. It's baseball a term, card? I invented it right now. It's a term for people to go out with multiple members of a friend circle, their baseball cards. Oh, that's so smart. So Life and Style said that Lindsay loved Jared because he taught her how to eat healthy foods. Oh, yeah. It's like the only sentence in this whole article that made any sense. Um, And also by this point, Lindsay seems to be siding with Nicole. She knows what she did. Richie and the Paris-Nicole friendship divorce. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. And by the way, I would have sided with Nicole Richie too. I mean, everyone's great here, yeah, but I'm just saying we know we know what she did. <laughs> but um, by the way, Stavros Niarcos is just stepping out to grab a Red Bull and a Von Dutch cap, but he will definitely be right back. He's gonna be right back. He's taking He's a his quick Merc. stop at Pink Taco. Do you remember <laughs> Pink Taco? It's gonna come up in a couple of lines. I know. I love so... it. He's taking a quick stop at Pink Taco grabbing Lindsay a present at Kitson, and he'll be back soon in his, remember, Prada Sport shoes? It's, yeah, with the red thing at the back. I know. My dad had some, and I remember being like, you look European and not in a nice way. (laughs) So... Lindsay hosts SNL. It's crazy again. She was a really good SNL host and very valuable. In April of 2006, which should be a big deal, but in the scope of this 40 million page story, it is literally like you don't even care about it. Like I didn't even look for a clip from it because I was like, who cares? Really speaks to what you said about gossip fatigue. Like we're, are you not already tired? We've been gossiping for hours. It's hours. It's like, this is the point where, like I said at the top of this episode, you get to where there's something in some paper every day. I know. Well, speaking of drama, we are about to enter Paris and not in that way. This is the big Paris and Lindsay drama. Lindsay had some drama with American treasure, self-made celeb DJ, Japanese handbag line, billionaires, 
Paris Hilton. And I like to call her self-made because she went from being very rich to extremely intensely rich. And I like that. (laughs) So on April 27, 2006, while his girlfriend Paris Hilton is on a plane to Austria, baseball card Stavros Niarchos is spotted with Lindsay at a party. You know what is a very lucky thing? What? It's a very lucky thing that every single thing this girl does was documented because otherwise we wouldn't know that he joined her at her home, the Chateau Marmont, three days later following the premiere of world-renowned clunker Just My Luck, a film that Alyssa Bennett quite enjoyed. I also would like to say Stavros Niarchos is a really good friend of mine. He's a great person. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he did not mean to wrap himself up in this drama. Just kidding. That man's hair looks like bacon. Are you kidding or not? That man's hair looks like bacon and I've never done it in my whole life. Of course I'm kidding. It's very different to be friends with Bruce Willis's three remarkable daughters than it is to be friends with baseball card Stavros Niarchos. So Paris Hilton comes back from her journey to Austria and she and Stavros officially split in a very messy front yard meltdown at 3 a.m. on May 2nd. He is spotted slobbering on Lindsay's face at a number of obsolete Manhattan nightclubs on the evening of May 15th. I'm going to guess one of them is butter and another might be plaid. What about one oak? One oak is kind of a newer thing. Lotus might be one of them. Oh, definitely. They're at Lotus slobbering. So by the way... Lindsay's also linked to Brett Ratner around this time. This man will later visit Howard Stern and tell the world that he made Lindsay get an STD test before he would have sex with her when she was 19 and he was 37. That man should be it's so fucking lucky. crazy. He will also later state on the record that as of 2014, he had, quote, Never made love to an intelligent woman. Oh, he also, like, when he was accused of sexually harassing Olivia Munn, was like, nuh-uh, she begged to blow me. And it's like, dude, no one's ever begged to blow you. Never. Never. Back to Stavros. Back to my dear, dear friend Stavros. I'm so sorry to mention you on the show, Stavros. You mean so much to me. Call me. (laughs) Guess who's mad about this whole thing? You fucking got that right. Paris. She's mad. So let's break down the series of events that will lead to one of the most notorious vagina shamings of the century. I mean... I mean, this makes beef curtains look like nothing. (laughs) On May 16th, 2006, TMZ is on hand to capture video of Brandon Davis, heir of the oil and entertainment mogul... Marvin Davis as he calls Lindsay a quote-unquote fire crotch while leaving a club with a cackling Paris Hilton. The deeply unfunny rant is so dumb and mortifying that, of course, all of America loves it and celebrates it. But it was not to last, and Lindsay let her feelings be known in November when she informed the paparazzi that Paris was a cunt, and then seconds later smirked while denying she had just said it. So weeks later, she gives a statement to the omnipresent bank of paparazzi that are following her around, probably coming out of a Fred Siegel, that Paris hit her with a glass and dumped a drink on her head at a party, and that it either hurt her feelings or her arm, and possibly both. (laughs) So the, the preceding events culminate the following night. Paris and Britney Spears are spotted leaving the Beverly Hills Hotel together when Lindsay somewhat miraculously materializes from the ether just as paparazzi ask Paris. They're like, Paris, did you really hit Lindsay with a glass and hurt either her arm or her feelings or both? And our favorite Machiavellian heiress shouts, she's right there, before instructing Lindsay to, quote, tell them the truth. Lindsay obeys and says, quote, Paris never hit me. She's my friend. Everyone lies about everything. Lindsay! 
Tell them the truth. They say, what's going on? They should tell us. never, maybe she's my friend. Everyone lies about Cindy. everything. She's a nice person. Please leave cool. us alone. So you're friends? So that yes, video no, statement no, earlier no, today no, was wrong? Waiting in the car. She never did that. She's a good girl. This is like someone in a hostage situation having to write it's a letter so to their parents that says, I'm fine and I don't want to come home. She then crams her third body into Paris's two-seater and they speed away into the night. I know so this picture like the back I, of my hand. Every, it's like, it's seared into like American consciousness. It's so remarkable. So this club of three was alternately referred to as, quote, bimbo summit, the images of this night have gone down as one of pop culture's holy grail moments. And it's really just like this flash in the pan thing. It was one night. They hung out one night. But years later, Paris will say that Lindsay wasn't really hanging out with her and Brittany, that she just kind of inserted herself into the situation, was not exactly a welcome presence. Some have speculated this was actually all a PR stunt arranged by Paris's publicist, who was the one escorting Lindsay to the car. We don't know. We weren't there for any of this. And, Thank God. And Paris, Brittany, and Lindsay are three of my closest friends. Um, <laughs> is there more gossip about these two? Are there alleged phone hacking scandals, nasty emails, sabotaging, tears shed in poorly lit bathroom stalls with cocaine dotting the edge <laughs> of the sink? Caddy swipes that continue to this very day? Yes. But the truth is that it is insanely boring to recount all these things because the stories are so endless that they cease to matter. Like at a buffet in Vegas, who even gives a shit anymore? Why did we care like truly. we did? Like you need shrimp 16 ways. You no. need to have shrimp offered to you in 16 different ways. <sighs> okay, so from here, shit's going to start to fall apart. I got it already. Oh, no, girl. We haven't even started. So by the summer of 2006, Lindsay is romantically attached to Harry Morton, the young entrepreneur responsible for founding fine dining establishment, The Pink Taco. It took me years to understand that Pink Taco was a vagina reference. I knew you were going to say that. So this guy is the son of Linda Evangelista's longtime post-Kyle McLaughlin Peter Morton and brother to bounty hunter Domino Harvey. By the way, Domino Harvey could be her own C-word icon. Yeah, Big double sad R.I.P. Harry died at age 38 in 2019. Domino died at 35 in 2005. Back to Lindsay. So can we give her something to look forward to? Yeah. So she gets cast in Georgia rule opposite icon Jane Fonda. Ooh, and of course, so it's a huge deal. She should be on her best behavior. Blah, 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 blah. But during filming in July of 2006, she is hospitalized again for being overheated and dehydrated, which coincidentally comes right on the cigarette-stained tails of a night of partying. So people are psyched when a very stern letter to Lindsay from the CEO of Films Production Company is leaked to the classic The Smoking Gun. Because it confirms our suspicions that she is spoiled and fucked up and a classic C-word accusation we love to throw at women Mm. specifically un- Grateful. The letter we threatens. smear the word ungrateful on our faces like it is fucking placenta mask. We love to call people ungrateful. We love it, love it, love it. We love to resent them for it. So in this letter threatens to legally pursue uh, recuperation of damages if Lindsay delays production any further and says that everyone knows the quote real reason for your so-called exhaustion. And then for our pleasure, it is rounded out with the phrase. You have acted like a spoiled child. By the way, 
I once got an email from a producer because I wasn't able to finish a script in the time that he had laid out for me that said I was a spoiled child. And I still remember, I was probably, I was 24, the shame that coursed through my body oh, as if, as I if mean, the mean daddy I never had oh, was you're just like, letting I've worked me my, know. I've worked, been working so hard. You must just feel like I've been working so hard. I felt like I'd been working so hard and I was heartbroken and it was literally because I couldn't do this impossible task he had laid out for me so I could fail. Like that scolding. Oh. And also the idea that like gratitude is like, like women should be grateful for being picked up out of the like, you know, Lolita barefoot kitchen like you know how at the end of Lolita she has to go like be yeah. like a mom in a kitchen yeah. and like the tragedies like and she was just normal like other moms yeah. it's like and she was no longer yeah. molestable as she was just a normal mom and yeah. that concept like like that we've been plucked out of the obscurity of some sad Minnesotan kitchen and now we should be thankful it just never ends I love you Minnesota so everyone laughed when this letter came out Everyone clapped their hands. Everyone was high on the thrill of scolding and humiliation. A lot of people identify this as the moment when Lindsay's career was officially sunk. Lohan is no longer a teenage party girl whose antics prop up ticket sales. She is a fucking liability. And so by this point, the paparazzi are absolutely relentless. It is around this time when tons of pap shots intentionally document Lindsay's ambivalent relationship with underwear. I didn't wear any today. And this was a grim fucking trend when people were doing these upskirt shots. Oh. I mean, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. It was like a subsect of the entertainment industry. It's crazy. Oh, the amount of women of the 2000s whose vagina lips you can see as they get out of a taxi. It's like also crazy. it's like, do people not understand that sometimes you're wearing a dress that just can't have a panty line? It doesn't mean that sometimes you're like. Sometimes the dress can't handle underwear. Sometimes the dress can't even handle a thong. And the fact is this was before they were doing those nice briefs that are like skin and that's a more modern invention. And um, so this girl does not have a moment of peace, even though she is mostly famous at this point because everyone is excited to see how much more effort she can put into destroying her once promising career. Oh. Shall we watch this clip of how insanely Lindsay Lohan was pursued? Oh, yeah. This is horrific. It's like you watch this footage of, I would say, 25 to 30 paparazzi walking backwards, like in the direction she's walking like to try to get into her car. Like old fucking polar fleeces blocking her from her car. The flashes are in her face. She has to like shuffle step because there's no room to take a step because there is a barricade of bodies in front of her. You look at this and you think that the rest of the world was like, why can't you behave like a normal person? Like, I'll fucking tell you why. Because there's it's, literally it's a bunch abnormal. of old men following to me to my car. And at this point, our boy Harry Morton of Pink Taco fame was reportedly not that into the partying or the drug foibles. And he breaks up with our girl Linz in September, just after she supposedly takes a spill at a party and fractures her wrist. Everyone was like, that's what happens when you're D-R-U-N-K. And then, Drunk. you know how we wondered if people can find anyone to date who someone else hasn't dated? No, because he reportedly begins dating dot, 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 Paris Hilton. Did Lindsay salve her wounds by becoming obsessed with James Franco? We don't know. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? We were there. This is a pretty classic trauma response. We don't like to acknowledge the trauma survived by culture's famous women, especially actresses, because we prefer to encounter them as open signifiers because we think their wealth and success obliterates their right to complain. 
We really want gratitude, and people who don't give it lose the public. Think people like Katherine Heigl, or even when Constance Wu said she wasn't excited about her television yes. show being renewed, and people just acted like she had literally broken a code. It makes people want to scream, how dare you? How dare you? Because what they think is, if I had what you had, I would be happy, and I would shut up. The thing about this show that I think is... What I think is important about what we do is just the kind of cumulative response that you see is a pattern. Like this is yeah. Linda Evangelista not being able to leave her house. This is Winona Ryder. This, you know, this. It's, well, what's it's, interesting is that the more we do this, the more we're able to literally find like eight to ten things that happen in every one C-word of these bingo. stories. It's C-word bingo. It's C-word bingo. Trademarked. Just trademarked it. You start to understand collective cultural patterns. Absolutely. So Alyssa, we we kind of need to end things here because and this we've episode's been recording be like, for like six hours. I know. And this episode can't be like 24 hours long, no. but part two is going to be a big one because we're going to cover Lindsay's continued antics in the year of our Lord 2007, her relationship with Samantha Ronson, her rehab stays, her time in prison. That's insane that she went to prison. It's a lot. Also in part two, I chat with my dear friend, Nomi Fry. She is a writer for The New Yorker. I'm sure all you people of quality are familiar with her work. She loves Lindsay just as much as we do, and we get down to it. So stay tuned for that. Until next week, I will be working on becoming a fire crotch. My name is (laughs) Lena Dunham. I'm Alyssa Bennett. And we will never call you crazy, even if you do have exhaustion. The C Word is a luminary podcast. It is produced by Pineapple Street Studios and Good Thing Going Productions. Dina Kleiner is our senior producer. Zandra Ellen and Sophie Bridges are our producers. This episode was fact-checked by Decca Mull Downey. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are our executive producers, and our theme song is by Liz Baer. Other music is by Matthew McLaughlin and Andrew Miller, as well as Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Michael Cohen, Katie Goldman, and Blake Mars. Alyssa, your work was... I feel like we've just been on a motherfucking roller coaster. I know, that was good up. Let's get together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. We can start a family. Isn't that what she says? And though we haven't got Got a lot, lot. we will be sharing Sharing what we've got got together. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We did great.